Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone. I'm Bonnie Lin, a PhD candidate in practical theology at Princeton Theological Seminary. It is my privilege to introduce our speaker, Anne Jillian Chu. Jillian is a PhD candidate at the Center for the Study of Religion and Politics at St. Mary's College at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Her doctoral research examines Christian perspectives of civic action under non-democratic governments in post-umbrella movement Hong Kong. Jillian's work combines theological ethics, political theology, and theological anthropology. Jillian's presentation is titled A Hong Kong Ethnography in the Time of COVID-19, Integrating Primary and Secondary Qualitative Data in a Trans-Pacific Context. Welcome, Jillian. Thanks, Bonnie. Let me share my screen first as things, as we do things here. Um, let's see. Uh, um, if you can't see it, let me know. Um, if you can, like give me a lot of thumbs up. Um, and yep, awesome. And so um, just so the audio is stable, I'm gonna turn my video off for now, but I'll be back on with my video during the Q&A session, just so we get more like face screen time together. Perfect. Thank you to Dr. Chow and the steering committee at the Princeton Theological Seminary for putting together this much needed event. I've learned so much from all of the other speakers, especially um, what Asian Americans have been facing. Why was I invited to give this presentation? I'm neither American, nor have I lived in America, nor is my research topic based in America. I suppose it's because I understand Asian American theology as Asians doing theology in their context, America or otherwise, developing a theology from Asian experiences when we are not in the mainstream conversation. I see Asian American theology as an umbrella term that encompasses Asian experiences and articulates them in the discipline that focuses more on Caucasian male theologies and experiences. I will talk about my experiences as Asians in Hong Kong com Christian communities, of which the term theology in these communities still brings to mind the works of Karl Barth, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and the likes. It is an ongoing frustration of mine that many Hong Kongers turn to the Western world and not themselves in theologizing Hong Kong church contexts. I argue that we need to listen to the average Jane in the Hong Kong church communities and tools like narrative portraits can allow us to better listen to their lived theology, which in turn would strengthen written theology. Both lived theology and written theology are important, but we have in theology and in church focus so much on written theology that we have missed out on what God could be saying to us through the lives of regular everyday people. I research how Christians conceptualize civic engagement in the light of Hong Kong resistance movements, especially after the umbrella movement in 2014. This movement paralyzed key areas in Hong Kong for over two months by blocking major roadways. As an aspiring theological ethicist and a Hong Kong Christian, I ask questions about how 
Christians in Hong Kong can reconcile their religious conviction with their political inclinations. Yet, I cannot get my head around the thoughts and theological convictions of the various camps in Hong Kong church communities. I cannot understand them, whether they're pro-establishment Christians or pro-democracy Christians. I thought by conducting interviews, I could get to the bottom of the mystery and finally understand my own fellow churchgoers in Hong Kong. But I realized in conducting the interviews, it is more complex than that because what my participants say can be self-contradictory and messy. I had to make a decision. Should I ignore them because what they say might be confusing? Or should I harmonize their contradictions? I finally came to terms with the idea that if lived theology is contradictions itself, then let the contradiction stand. And I will theologically reflect on my interviewee's practice, lived theology, if you will, using narrative portraits instead of the theologizing ideas in abstraction. There are two parts to this presentation. First, I will illustrate two contrasting narrative portraitures of Hong Kong Christians, one pro-establishment and one pro-democracy. The pro-establishment Hong Kong Christian who sides with the Hong Kong government wants access to China for evangelical and humanitarian welfare goals. Pro-democracy Hong Kong Christians view the current governmental structure as unjust, and there are some who work towards radically reforming the existing regime to make it more just through activism. Second, I will explain why lived theology is as important as written theology. Through these narrative portraitures demonstrating Hong Kong Christian lived theology, I hope to discuss Asian American Christians and how they can see their role in welcoming and pastoring Hong Kongers migrating into the diaspora. So two narrative portraitures of Hong Kong Christians. Lived theology is a way to give voice to the average Jane in a context where theologians' voice are privileged. I'm of the conviction that it is the practice of individual Christians in community that leads to lived theology worthy of being theorized by theologians and cross-checked again in Christian communities. Even if lived theology is confusing, complex, and sometimes contradictory and incoherent in comparison to written theology. Natalie Wake Stevenson describes this relationship. Ethnographic theologians acknowledge and accept that there is no theological view from nowhere that we can access and that all theological claims are embedded in and produced by particular contexts, practices, and systems of power and privilege. I consider that what published theologians write is already heavily edited and revised, and we're missing out if we do not listen as well to the raw speech and action of Christians in community. Written theologies are, in fact, a distillation of lived theology and so much more difficult to decipher than theological writings, since most Christians do not need a detailed theological understanding of their religious practice to participate fully in them. I would argue that there is spiritual power in conducting ethnographic fieldwork, investigating lived theologies. God is present in the church and being with God's disciples should be an illuminating experience.
which is why I really look forward to how Dr. Perk's research project unfolds. In an attempt to take you, my audience, into the life worlds and lived theology of my participants, I will illustrate two composite figures using the method of narrative portraiture with the hopes to demonstrate the conflict and complexity within Hong Kong church communities. Narrative portraiture are structured accounts that describe an experience as told or written by an individual from the perspective of that individual, attempting to let participants speak for themselves by choosing what they want to share and how, and bring participants to the center of the research. I hope to show their narratives and how that could be an authentic theological source. So my first one is a pro-establishment Hong Kong Christian. This is a composite figure, not one person. I'm not pro-government, no. I criticize the Kiri Lam government too. I know there are problems in China, but China is a huge country and you need to give it time to catch up. They cannot implement everything all at one go. Kids nowadays know nothing about China. I work in finance and my line of work requires traveling to China all the time. I meet real Chinese people. They're friendly, hardworking, logical. China is not what these kids imagine it to be. I'm the rational, neutral voice in all this, but I find myself being silenced by those who don't agree with me. Those rioters are super loud and will attack anyone speaking differently from them. My church was once surrounded by those radical Christians who just listened to parts of our pastor's sermon online and labeled us China's lapdog. I'm scared for my safety and the safety of my family. My mom is old and fragile. Sorry, um, I think I lost, I was lost for a tiny bit. I'll be right back. Um, I think it's, I think the audio is okay right now, right? <laughs> Perfect. Sorry about that. Let me share my screen again. Okay. My mom is old and fragile and my children are young and impressionable. What if they put our personal information online? What if they stalk us? How did our world become what it is now? I think that being law abiding is super important. That is what makes Hong Kong what it is. These kids are talking about rights, but what about God's sovereignty? Human rights is just being selfish and not obedient to God's will. Well, I find that my rights have been stifled too because I can't go to certain places in the city anymore because of the mob. We really need to pray for our city to submit to God's will. The government is not perfect, of course, but destroying everything in sight is not helpful either. What's the good in provoking the Chinese government? Look at Singapore. The people are contented, but they're not a democracy. We need to bring ourselves back to a stable, rational society so that we can catch up with Singapore, who's doing so much better than us financially. Those kids on the streets, they're being manipulated by Americans. They don't know what they're talking about. 
they don't even understand what democracy is. Do you really think America has democracy? They have an electoral college and it's not one person, one vote. I've lived in a Western demo democratic country before and I witnessed firsthand how broken their system is. They just elect whoever says what they want to hear. But in China, we appoint whoever is competent. Our system is way better. And I mean, Hong Kong was a colony. Did you really think we had democratic elections during colonial times? This is so much better now. At least we get a vote. Don't get me wrong, I'm sympathetic to the democratic movements, which is why I participated in the vigil of the Tiananmen Square massacre in 1989. I signed petitions then too. People can protest for sure, but it has to be a legal kind. I'm also doing a lot of good stuff with my church. I evangelize, I visit the poor, I do disaster relief in China. How do you think I get to go to China if I didn't have good relationships with authorities? This world will pass soon, and so will all governments. I don't think a democratic or any kind of system is all that important. We need to ground ourselves in God. Craig, read the Bible. Spending time striving for social justice means we're not devoting our time to evangelizing, and that delays God's kingdom coming. And a second figure is the pro-democracy one. Um, so, why don't I have a stake in my own future? The murders are real. The sexual assaults are real. Police brutality is real. How can I live with myself if I forget everything that's happened and lived just as I did before? Like an ignorant honky pig. God is angry in the Bible too, and the God is just. I don't think vandalism is a problem. How else can we get the Chinese government to listen? Those pacifists are out. They're in it for the spotlight and for the legislative council seats, but look what happened. The Chinese government changed the rules of the game and all of a sudden they're out. Their idea of wanting to convince the Chinese government with rational arguments and civil disobedience doesn't work. The nonviolent crowd doesn't represent me. In fact, no one represents me. Only I can represent myself. We need to take whatever means we can to get our hands on. I have my bottom line too. I'm in the protest to protect other protesters. I don't actively inflict harm on the police. Instead, I stand between the police who wants to harm other protesters. I'm faithful to God. The Chinese government can't be trusted. And the system isn't democratic. So how can I live with myself if I didn't give it my best shot to turn things around? I think our system is so broken at this point that we just need to break it and make a new one. When I say Hong Kong independence, I don't really mean Hong Kong being an independent country. I'm not stupid. I know we can't survive on our own. What I really mean is that Hong Kong is autonomous, like the one country, two system guarantees, and that we can preserve our own culture and language. How is that a big ask? I'm a Hong Konger. I'm not Chinese. And those who all believe in democratic values, even if they've just migrated to Hong Kong, can all be Hong Kongers. We need to show our collective power to the Chinese government. That is why we need to persist with the yellow economic circle, where we only buy stuff from vendors with the same convictions as we do. Of course, this will be difficult at the beginning, since large conglomerates will be reluctant to side with us, but we need to show them our economic power. 
through the way I live my daily life, I continue to resist the Chinese government's suppression in small ways. I grew up in the church and I've been working in the church for a while. My church doesn't talk about politics. They just want to stay neutral, but I can't blame them. They are also in a difficult position, but I just do my own thing as an individual Christian and everyone doing their own thing according to their own convictions and collectively will be a force to reckon with. I'm now thinking of taking up the British National Overseas Passport Visa and moving to the United Kingdom, or perhaps to seek asylum in the States. My mom holds a law enforcement job and we've stopped talking for years already. It's getting increasingly difficult to live under the same roof. She thinks I'm the problem and the government is doing just fine if people like me would stop making a mess of Hong Kong. If I have to live with her any longer, I think I'll snap. I'm sad and distressed to think that I need to leave Hong Kong permanently. I love this land. How can I still be a meaningful part of this venture when I have to flee for my own safety? I feel disillusioned and confused. So exploring the lived theologies through narrative portraits, imagine these two people in your church in the diaspora. How can you communicate with them? How do they communicate with each other? Yes, so Hong Kong people are now moving into the diaspora and Hong Kongers have been migrating to the West for decades. So there are many Hongkers and churches in the diaspora already. How will the new Hong Kong immigrants interact with existing Hong Kongers in diaspora? UK churches are getting Hong Kong ready. How will Asian American Christians and churches respond? Those two narrative portraits illustrate their lived theology. Both sees themselves as being faithful to God and both feel like they themselves are the victims in the situation. This pro Christian pro-establishment character sees himself as wanting political stability where freedom and rights can be exercised and essential pastoral and almsgiving work can happen, trusting in the slow work of God. In contrast, this Christian pro-democracy character views the current non-democratic system as unjust and requiring fundamental changes before people can exercise any freedom, since Christians need to speak up to, for those who are unable to do so precisely because they're being oppressed. In each group, political and theological convictions are intertwined, which leads to hardening of perspective, since each views the other as not being grounded in biblical teaching and not as real followers of Jesus. Through writing their respective narrative portraitures, I've gained a deeper sense of understanding of each of their conviction and frustration and have a better grasp of their lived theology in the Hong Kong context. So um, yesterday, um, Dr. Baho talked about the work of at resetting the table. And I find what she said about acknowledging how people see themselves as an important point in this situation, particularly. Narrative portraiture is a way to present lived theology contextualized in broader social narratives and without losing sight in the unique personal qualities of research encounter, bringing the participant and their daily life experience into focus. More than just a method, this is a way to communicate research that helps others who are not in the same context to remember and relate to empathize and to relive the complexity embodied in a situation. It's never easy to know where you are or what time you're in, in particular. It's very hard to know where you are theologically. I'm sure you can poke holes 
in the theology of the two narrative portraits, but that's simply not the point. I hope that through the narrative portraiture, the voice of the average Jane will not be silenced, even if their theologies are messy and perhaps self-contradictory. The idea of lived theology and method of narrative portraiture are also helpful for pastoral practices because it gives pastors a conscious space to think about who it is in their congregation and how they would approach the world. I'm sure you know your congregants well, yet using narrative portraiture to sketch a figure brings you into their shoes and offer an opportunity to visualize their lived theology and what that might look like. Through sketching narrative portraitures, you are given the opportunity to read your congregants as you would John Calvin or Thomas Aquinas. The congregants are also teaching you theology through their actions, their lived theology, if you will. So some final thoughts. Um, I know I know we're pressed with time um, and, and technology issues. Sorry about that. Um, so context is key. And my doctoral research method stems from my conviction that lived theology informs written theology, like how Hong Kong Christians I speak to live out their daily lives with all its messiness and occasionally self-contradictory thoughts, which itself is theology. The average Jane will not write theological monographs, but she has theological convictions and ideals too. Studying her disconnected and perhaps ineloquent thoughts may be part of how God speaks to us, that is, through the church community and practice. As Dr. Law just argued, systematic listening to people of the church, it's what is, and that's what Scott is doing through people's lives. Through narrative portraiture, I hope to explore how my participants make sense in, of their experience, their lived theology. The point of conducting qualitative research is not to iron out inconsistencies, but rather to find God and revelation precisely within these inconsistencies. Doing theology should not be monopolized by published theologians from the West since, as the saying goes, action speaks louder than words. And so I have some reading, and I think um, Darren will be dropping those links in the chat. These are just things that I've wrote before about um, Hong Kong. And hopefully, um, if you're interested, you, well, I'll be happy to chat a bit more about that as well. And um, I'm super happy that you've listened through all that. Um, and um, I'm, I welcome your questions and comments, and I look forward to engaging with y'all. Thank you so much, Jillian, for that very insightful presentation. I was personally quite moved by your composite accounts of both pro-establishment and pro-democracy Hong Kong Christians. They really show the complexities of the situation and, and very valid concerns um, at stake on, on both sides. And many of us too, just judging from the comments, have heard echoes of what you've shared among our own networks as well. And here in the States, we also struggle with political polarization that divide Christians. And just wondering, do you see some ways for believers to move forward faithfully based on your conversations and, and research in Hong Kong? Yeah, I've been thinking about that totally. And uh, right now at this point, um, we've just passed um, the national security law last year and very recently electoral reform. And so, and with um, professors and the tenured professors being sacked and also, um, um, not getting on tenure track, not getting tenured, and also teachers being removed from positions. It's hard to 
just go like, let's chat because <laughs> reconciliation really takes a lot of effort from the top as well. And so um, my, my suggestion right now is to let's grieve together because mm. it's, it's hard to say um, it's the imagination of what the future is. It's very different for all different people. And it's, and I can't even say it's both sides because there's people, there's every, there's two people and then there's three different future imaginations. And, yeah. so, and so what I, I envision is that people can grieve together because whatever they imagine the future to be, it's, it's not going to happen. And whether you're pro-establishment or you're pro-democracy, the, the idea of the future that you're expecting that would happen, it's not going to happen. And let's grieve together on that specific point because that's something that we can collectively agree on. And let's everything else is kind of hard to agree on right now. And so um, it's it takes effort on both sides. And I think as um, Dr. Bahos, yes, SJ talked about, we really need to understand others from their perspective and how they understand themselves first before um, we can even start in engage in any conversation. Because if we uh, we see somebody else as a political other and we see somebody else as not being faithful to Jesus, then there's just no ground for conversation at all. Yeah, thank you so much. So Lucas Kwong, one of our speakers from yesterday asks, um, he says, it's interesting that neither side conceives of either China or Hong Kong in terms of divinely granted exceptionalism, as is the case in American Christianity. To what extent have you seen incipient Christian nationalism on either side? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big question. Because um, Christianity has been like the fabric of Hong Kong society even though it makes up a very small percentage of Hong Kong population. And just by virtue of Christian schools, um, hospitals, um, and social welfare services, that people have all been in touch with Christianity. But the thing is, um, it's, n it's never seen as a part of, um, quote unquote, our culture, um, because it's always seen as something that's um, at least foreign, if not colonial. And there's a lot of ideas um, tied towards um, rice Christians, where Christians, where people convert to Christianity for um, things such as rice, therefore rice Christians, and also like um, other um, commodities like milk or like possessions in, um, in like Christian schools, because if you're, your parents are Christians, you get like more brownie points. And so I can't really see how um, in in Christianity, in the Christian community in Hong Kong, obviously, there is a lot of, um, we think that our, our position is very important, obviously, but, um, but in the society at large, like when we say like, oh, um, there's um, people saying, um, um, say, Sing hallelujah to the Lord um, in the protests. Um, we think it's a big thing, um, not so much with the secular world. And so uh, I, I, I think when we think about how Christianity is in Hong Kong, it is very different from what it is in America. And 
other post-Christendom countries. Mm. Thank you so much, Jillian. And remember, we can have another chance to engage Jillian uh, later at our panel today at 11.30. So let's hop on now to our next session with Dr. Giomon George. Thank you very much. Thanks everyone, and thanks Bonnie.